0: Understand that we ran out of bulletins today. I know there's some folks that would like a bulletin insert, the sermon outline, and other folks have one that aren't going to use one. So if you have one and you're not going to use it, you can like hold it up and whoever wants one can come grab one. And while people are doing that, they uh, got a couple out there. Uh, do you want to announce, uh, Joanna Michelle Mextroth was born yesterday. 6 pounds, 11.6 ounces, getting more detailed there, and 19 inches, and all is well. So congrats to them. Hmm? No, I think it's good. So we have that. We're in our series on the most misused and misunderstood verses in the Bible, and uh, this has been a unique series um, because it forces us to look at things that we often get wrong. So this week we're looking at one verse in particular, uh, which is uh, not common uh, for us, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, but that verse is Proverbs twenty-nine, eighteen, 18, and uh, you may have heard this before. I will read it for you, please listen carefully. We'll be taking this apart as we uh, go through today. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, "Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law." Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the scriptures and making us your people. You have brought us to your word to learn more about your will for our lives. And we ask this morning that you would give us the grace to understand an often misunderstood verse. It's misunderstood because we want your word to reflect our will, not yours. And our wills aren't easily bent to obedience. And we want to listen to our own hearts and not yours. So we thank you for this word. We pray that you would, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, enable us to bow our hearts to its authority In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, sources outside of a local eye care center in San Diego uh, report that the lead visionary of the For You Church, Mr. Colton Amadei, failed an eye exam on Friday. I've never seen a more dismal performance eye care center employee, Greg Carnicella, admitted to reporters afterwards. He couldn't even handle the top line. I've always had such great vision, a flummoxed Amadee said in a statement. I tested very strongly for vision on my last spiritual gifts test. But after that puff test, though, I could barely find the exit sign. Several parishioners were reportedly disillusioned by the news. His Amadee's eagle-like vision is what drew them to the appealing ministry of the For You Church. Scripture says God raises up visionaries for such a time as this, one member said. At least that's what our visionary says it says. "Amade reportedly even has Proverbs 29, 18. Without vision, the people perish, tattooed on his right forearm. It's my life verse, he explained in a recent Twitter Q&A. My people are imperishable. At publishing time, it was still unclear whether... Amadeus' vision will improve enough for him to find his way to the qualifications for church leadership in 1 Timothy 3. Obviously, that's from the Babylon Bee Christian satire site. I'm wondering if they've gotten a hold of our sermon schedule and are committed to now providing me with weekly illustrations. (laughs) Either that or we share the same twisted sense of humor, one of those but now with this week's verse, Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, there are actually a few reasons why this verse is so often misused. One is that so many Christian speakers and authors are either untrained or just plain lazy and don't do the work necessary to understand this verse in its original context. And sadly, that's probably the main reason why this verse is misused. But secondly... The English language is constantly changing. Most of you are aware of that. That's why when you go to buy a new Bible, you're forced to wonder, why are there so many different Bibles? This question often comes up when it's time for people to pick out a new Bible. There's thin line Bibles, reference Bibles, study Bibles, topical Bibles, and so on and so forth. And it's where we enter into the world of translation philosophies, the theological angles taken in the study notes, format, print size, color, leather, hardback, thickness, and on and on. You name it, it's available. According to their website, Family Christian Bookstores, chain of bookstores, carries 138 compact Bibles, 57 devotional Bibles, 67 large print Bibles, 47 reference Bibles, 48 specialty Bibles, 216 study Bibles, 54 teen Bibles, 10 topical Bibles, 101 thin line Bibles, and three audio Bibles. And that's just in the NIV translation. So very quickly I browse through The Specialty Bibles. Ah, that's hot. And I have to say, there was one that was really, really tempting. It was the Plans I Have for You Bible. (laughs) One of the previous verses in this series. So tempting. Perhaps you would like to get the Investigator's Bible or the free on the inside Bible, or maybe the battlefield of the mind Bible. Maybe you get, please don't, the Jesus Calling Bible, or the Jesus Calling Bible for children. Because surely we want to teach them how to screw up God's word at an early age. Now, if you already own one of those Bibles, I apologize. Not trying to make anyone feel guilty. If you own one of those Jesus calling Bibles, I will replace it for you free of charge. <laughs> but you think about a new believer, it's gotta be overwhelming choosing a Bible without help from someone who's familiar with all the different translations and paraphrases. Even for longtime Christians, the number of Bible options is incredibly confusing. Personally, I prefer the A more literal word for word translation of the English Standard Version. So that's primarily what I preach from. But when you think about the early church and the limited number of copies of Scripture that was available to them, you can't help but be amazed at how blessed we are to have so much access to God's Word. We have instant access to it on the internet and full copies on our smartphones. But aside from this, there's another excellent question that surfaces in this discussion from time to time. It deserves an answer, and it's why is it necessary to be constantly updating and coming out with new translations of the Bible? And there's lots of different reasons. But the best answer is because language changes. If there's one thing that's always moving, always changing, it's human language. Let me give you an example. What if 20 years ago, um, for those of you that were alive 20 years ago, uh, if I came up to you and said, so are you changing the light bulbs in your house so that you can go green? 20 years ago, that wouldn't have made much sense and probably would have gotten a response something like, what are you talking about? Is going green like wearing a Notre Dame t-shirt on St. Patrick's Day? Of course, today you know the answer to that. Going green has everything to do with using products that are environmentally friendly, that limit energy use, that minimize waste, encourage recycling, save natural resources. But the idea of going green is a relatively recent idea. And the word green itself has several different sets of meanings depending on its context why dictionaries are updated regularly. In the same way that words take on new meanings, words can lose or become detached from their old meanings. A few examples of words that have changed meaning over time. Gay used to mean happy. Awful, which used to mean awesome. Actually, I think awful makes more sense, but... Talents used to be a measure of weight. Or charity, which meant love a long time ago. And those old meanings seem somewhat archaic to us now. And with all that in mind, it's understandable why it might be necessary to have updated versions of the Bible due to the fact that some English words have changed or lost their contextual meanings And it's with these thoughts in mind that we turn to this widely misused verse uh, for today, Proverbs 29, 18. And the first need for today is for a better meaning. A better meaning, that should be the first blank there in your outline. Again, our verse for today says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. And that's really not a problem. Here's a case where an archaic and uh, understanding of an English word within the King James version of the Bible has led to so many people misunderstanding and misusing what's actually a great verse of the Bible. King James is still a reliable translation in many ways, but readers today often have difficulty with it because we have trouble understanding its Old English or antiquated language. So let's look first at Proverbs 20, 19 in the King James, and I'll explain what's really being said. Here's how the first half of the verse reads in the King James, where there is no vision, the people perish. And that's the most common way that verse is heard. You may have heard that verse cited before. And the reason that so many people quote the King James is that it's convenient to use its wording to support a lot of contemporary ideas and agendas. And based on a surface reading of it, the verse seems to be talking about having a vision for a planned out future. The idea being that if we don't have a plan for success in the immediate future, then we're bound to fail or in the extreme case, perish. That's not what this verse means. You can put that in like all caps. But before we explain what it does mean, let's talk about vision. The notion of having vision is widely used today in many circles. For example, as Americans, we elect politicians to serve in office based on their vision for the country's future. In a different way, companies often sit down as uh, leaders and envision where they want their company to be in 5, 10, or 20 years from now, and they develop a vision statement along with an accompanying strategy and tactics in order to obtain that anticipated future. Actually, I think they write a vision statement to go along with the existing strategy and tactics, but that's another discussion. And even churches today talk about having a vision for their church so that all the programs and activities are aimed at a set of clearly defined goals. That's the theory. The reality is for many churches... The vision becomes much more about the visionary than about the church. After all, a good visionary, who's an expert in the art of visioneering, yes, that's the title of a real book, will build his brand using multiple platforms in order to cast his vision to the widest possible audience. The fact that it almost always has something to do with money is completely coincidental, I'm sure. And yes, that's sarcasm. But many Christian leaders have latched on to this verse, claiming it gives them a biblical basis for the importance of vision and leadership. This passage is used most notably by leaders within the church growth movement. The pastor of Saddleback Community Church in California has written, quote, My imagination influences my aspiration. In other words, your dreams determine your destiny. To accomplish anything, you must first have a mission, a goal, a hope, a vision. Without a vision, the people perish, Proverbs 29:18. In his book, Courageous Leadership, the pastor of Willow Creek Community Church near Chicago. These are two of the largest churches in our country. He has written, Proverbs 29:18 says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. They can't focus. They can't reach their goal. They can't follow their dreams. An older translation says without vision the people perish. I've seen it with my own eyes. Without vision people lose the vitality that makes them feel alive because vision is a picture of the future that produces passion. Now planning for the future is not necessarily bad and certainly passion is something that has both good and bad intent. But this verse has nothing to do with either of those things. Now in both Corporate and church settings. I actually, think most places that write a vision statement end up hanging them on the wall, and everyone keeps on doing what they've always been doing. But in case you're wondering, if you haven't figured it out, I simply think they're unbiblical, at least for a church setting. And yet, someone finds a passage of Scripture that at first glance supports the idea of needing a vision. There's a temptation to grab hold of it, and use it after all. Wouldn't it be great to have a biblical warrant for this kind of visionary planning? Perhaps. I seriously doubt it, but maybe. But even if that was the case, there's a major problem with using this verse that way. Plain and simple, this verse is not talking about having a vision for the future, even though it's tempting to hijack the verse to support that idea. It is a clear misuse of the author's original intent. Which means, first of all, we not only need a better meaning, we need a better translation. It's interesting to note that the authors misusing this verse all quote from the King James Version of Proverbs 29, 18, which again says, where there is no vision, the people perish. I find that strange because these men would never preach from the King James Version, nor would they recommend it for study or devotional reading. So I quote from it. Well, the answer becomes clear when you start looking at other translations, because all you have to do is look at almost any other translation of the Bible in order to see what the verse is really saying. In fact, let's just quickly do that. Let's look at some versions. The contemporary English version, without guidance from God, law and order disappear, but God blesses everyone who obeys his law. The Holman Christian Standard Bible, which is now being republished as the Christian Standard Bible. So if you have the first one, you don't need to buy the second one. Lots of people are buying a new Bible, not realizing they already own it. Without revelation, people run wild, but one who listens to instruction will be happy. New Living Translation, people do not accept divine guidance. They run wild, but whoever obeys the law is joyful. New King James, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. The New International Version, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. And the English Standard Version, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. So now you can clearly see some of the more recent translations give a much different meaning of what this verse is saying than what we read in the older King James. It almost sounds as if they're quoting an entirely different verse, but they're not. And I would argue the other translations provide a much better sense of what's being communicated within the original Hebrew text. Four versions use the word revelation. Two versions use the word guidance. Now, I use the ESV, the excellent superior version. The... Sorry, I couldn't help it. But it uses the phrase prophetic vision, meaning the vision from the prophets. That phrase means exactly what it sounds like, or what theologians would call special revelation. In other words, the word of God. When the prophets began to speak, they often started by saying, thus says the Lord. That's prophetic vision. This verse is discussing the divine revelation of God that's come down to us from heaven. It's about how God has chosen to speak to us by means of supernatural revelation, the revelation directly given by God to the prophets and the apostles who wrote it down for us, which is what our Bible is today, and is why we call our Bible Special Revelation. It's why the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. He also writes 2 Timothy three sixteen all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But 400 years ago, when the King James Version first came out, by the way, the King James Version, if you go to the bookstore and buy it today, that's actually version 4. Most of the people here, unless you, if you're really comfortable with Beowulf, you might get away with understanding version 1. But other than that, what you're really getting is version 4. They just don't put like 4.0 after it. Um, But the English translators of the Bible in 17th century England chose to use the word vision instead of revelation when referring to God's supernatural communication to his people. And that's actually an appropriate translation of the original Hebrew text since God communicated to his prophets... By means of visions. But the readership of that day would have understood that vision meant revelation. It's the case how the word changes meaning over time. A number of the uh, prophets, their books actually begin this way. Obadiah is just one example. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord. It's a direct connection between vision and the word of God. To the point where they're almost used as synonyms. We see that in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. So there was no frequent vision. However, in our modern day American uh, culture, the word vision now has multiple meanings. You can refer to your eyesight. I have Bad vision, hence I wear glasses. It can refer to the supernatural experience of divine revelation, as we see in the Bible. Or, as I've said, it could refer to having a long-term plan. And this is where things go wrong. The misuse of Proverbs 29.18 comes when we randomly take a modern-day use of the word vision, like having a business plan, and illegitimately import that idea back into the biblical text in a way that's completely foreign to the author's original intent. Notice almost every week I talk about what did the author mean? What was the original intent, the original meaning? That's so important for understanding Scripture. And that's certainly what's happened here with the misinterpretation of this verse. It's hijacked and misused in an effort to support the modern-day idea of the need for a corporate vision for an organization, even a church. I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. I'm just saying that's not what this verse teaches. I'm not actually sure you can find it in any other verse in the Bible, but you may just say it's good common sense to do that in some other setting. I find it interesting that the New King James Version, which is obviously the update of the King James Version, changed the word from vision to revelation. I can't help but wonder if the scholars who uh, oversaw that update sought to avoid the confusion that surrounds this. So you need a better meaning, better translation, and we need a better context. Again, the verse in the ESV where there is no prophetic vision The people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. And one of the problems with people misusing this verse or misusing any verse is they remove it from its context. First of all, they hardly ever finish the verse. You only hear the first half of the verse. In the King James, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And they never tell you the second half, which is, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. DSV says, but blessed is he who keeps the law. I would argue that's actually the main point of the verse, not the first half. The word but contrasts something between the first and second half of the verse. And obviously, what's being contrasted are those who cast off restraint when there is no revelation from God with those who keep the law regardless. This verse is warning us from turning away from the revelation of God and promises blessing to those who honor and obey his word. The entire book of Proverbs confirms this understanding. If you look at all the other Proverbs that talk about blessing, you'll see being blessed by God means walking on a path uh, with God where evil can't reach us or living a life uh, with God that commands respect and esteem, abiding under the wing of God's the Father's favor and spending our lives in serving others. The overall context of Proverbs is one of wisdom and wisdom for daily life. But this particular chapter, Proverbs 29, is ultimately about justice, both divine justice and national justice. Proverbs 29 teaches us, I'm going to go through this really quick, that divine justice is given to obstinate sinners, verse 1, habitual sinners, verse 6, to the proud, verse 23, to those who don't trust God, verse 25. And national justice, or often as Proverbs puts it, public righteousness, is maintained where there's happiness and blessing, verse 2, in the end of chapter 28, where there's stability, verses 4 and 14, and where there's social concern for each other, verse 7. And then we learn that justice breaks down where there's instability, verse 8, where there's deception, verse 12, where there's corruption, verse 16, and where restraint has been cast off, verse 18, our verse for today. And there's more in there on domestic justice, how we treat our family, And personal justice, how our emotions and words govern our relationships. And our verse about God's revelation and our obedience to that revelation are right in the middle of a chapter on justice. So you might say, if you're really trying to understand this, where there is no divine revelation, the people cast off restraint and there is no justice. However, where there is divine revelation, the people are living in obedience to it, then there is justice. It's possible that a brief, careless reading of just one translation of the Bible could lead to confusion as to the meaning. But anyone who rightly handles the word of God, paying attention to the context and to the original meaning of the specific words used, then the meaning of this verse becomes clear. This says verse says nothing about the importance of having a church led by either a vision or a visionary. Ironically, this verse should underscore the importance of honoring God's revelation and warn those who water it down by sloppy or deliberate misuse. One last question for us that comes in this verse, what about perishing? Vision according to the church growth offers is an integral part of church leadership and a leader who does not cast vision leads his church towards destruction, which sounds bad for you. But the words, the people perish, is often interpreted by proponents of church growth to mean that churches without a clear vision will lose members and be unable to grow numerically. But is that conclusion supported by this verse? I don't think so. So what does it mean to say that without prophetic vision, Without divine revelation, the people cast off restraint. Let me try to explain it and I'll use a biblical example. When we're regularly reading and studying the Bible, the Holy Spirit uses that discipline to build us up and strengthen us in the faith. As our minds become uh, fortified and built up by the truths of God's Word, we learn to think more like God. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit uses The power of God's word to help us uh, in our fight against sin. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So one of the main ways we fight sin is by knowing God's word. What this means is when God's word is fixed in our hearts, it enables us to sort out right from wrong. It enables us to practice restraint when we're tempted to sin. One can say that when God's word is heeded and obeyed, it has protective value. It protects us from evil thoughts and behaviors and shapes our moral boundaries so we know how to live a life that pleases God. On the other hand, when God's word is ignored or it's just missing from someone's life, its ability to sort out right from wrong starts to disappear and to practice restraint is limited, and we're bound to fail, and we're bound to fall into sinful patterns. And this is what the writer of this proverb meant when he said, when there is no prophetic vision, no revelation, the people cast off restraint. One of the best examples of this comes to us from the Bible itself, from the book of Exodus. Exodus. We spent a year in Exodus, as some of you may remember. We read there in Exodus 32, this is the great incident of the golden calf. And we read there, verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them loose to the derision of their enemies, perish, broken loose, cast off restraint, all translate the same Hebrew word. And here in Exodus, it's used in the sense that Israelites are unrestrained. Once the moral restraints have been removed, they show no restraint at all. When Moses is up on Mount Sinai, and it becomes this mob scene of excess immorality. I'll let you think about that. Of course, Moses eventually comes down from Mount Sinai. And when he sees what's going on, the verses continue. Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, prophetic vision. When you hear those phrase, thus says the Lord, this is coming word from God through the prophet to you. Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. Casting off restraint can lead to deadly consequences and can, in fact, lead to people perishing. So if you hear me calling for the sons of Levi, start running, (laughs) because it is not going to end well. But if you think about it, there's lots of other examples. You know, how this proverb can be applied, how it essentially rings true in our culture today. You can think of almost any moral issue uh, in our society today, be it abortion, same-sex marriage, promiscuous sexuality on college campuses, corporate lying on annual reports, or politicians spinning their version of events so it looks better for their political party. Whatever. That makes this verse look prophetic, for it's describing a current state of affairs in a secular culture that has little regard for the word of God and shows an increasing disinterest in practicing moral restraint, it amazes me how much scripture still speaks to and describes sinful human nature today, even thousands of years after it was written. And there's probably 20 more examples you can use. We could debate every one of them. But in conclusion, the Bible rightly understood and applied has a way of protecting us and setting our our moral compass and restraining us from sinful patterns. And it teaches us right from wrong, and helps us to become discerning in our quest to please God in all things. And hopefully it's obvious by now that the main point of this verse is our obedience to the Word of God, and it's not about failed dreams or the size of our congregation. The true growth of the church is not dependent on either a vision or a visionary, but on our faithfulness to the Word of God. Amen? The point is, we don't live by our wits or our intelligence or our grandchildren or even our degrees. We do, however, live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's the only source of authority and health for the body of Christ. All else leads to the shambles that we're seeing in so many quarters uh, today. But it's also a warning to us. We don't need to compete for the world's attention as much as we need men and women whose quiet lives and biblical convictions and Christ like character authentically represent the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the end, the greatest blessing of keeping the law, the greatest blessing of following the gospel, is that we gain Christ. So that we gain Christ. Blessed indeed is the one who believes and keeps and follows God's law because those who do so reveal their true king. Take that to heart. You need to pray. Take a moment to do that and then I'll close. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we commit ourselves to you this day. Lord, your word is so much bigger than we are, and we ask that you would reveal to us the truth of your word and that you would give us hearts to obey it. Help us not to be like those who ignore your word and cast off restraint. Give us restraint, Jesus. Give us contentment in you. Let us rejoice in the great blessing of keeping the law, believing the gospel, gaining Christ, and being found in him. Lord, I pray if there are those who come here this morning unsure about your word or uncertain of the blessing found in Christ, reveal yourself to them by your word, by your spirit. Glorify yourself in your word, in our hearts, so that we can give you all the praise and glory. We ask this in the name of of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please receive God's blessing from 1 Peter. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart,